they were walking to stream single file and everyone's gone past this IED. I've gone past it. My mate behind me were getting in, he slipped. And as I've turned around to go and help him, I've stepped on it. And that resulted in me losing both my legs and my right arm. I remember I remember it all like it was yesterday. I heard the click and then I heard the bang. Welcome to a healthy conversation with Ben Meskam. Hi there, I'm Ben Meskam, and welcome to my brand new podcast, A Healthy Conversation with Ben. On today's podcast, we chat to a guy who ended up dancing in the Queen's Private Garden. He became a grenadier guard and went on to serve in Afghanistan, where he suffered a life-changing injury. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so that you don't miss out on the second episode. I'm absolutely delighted today to introduce another guest speaker, a guy called Dave Watson. And Dave, I think we met probably through some kind of networking thing that was going on. And Yeah, we, we met through a BNA event. We kind of had a bit of a one-to-one and you told me a little bit little bit about your story um but i've certainly found it really really fascinating so yeah if you kind of want to introduce yourself and then tell us your story that'd be absolutely great dave yeah so my name is dave watson i joined the military when i left school i've always wanted to join the military i went to the careers office went in and i said right i want to join the military and they said what do you want to join and i said well i don't really know i want to be like an infantryman so they said right Here's some documents, some DVDs, go away, have a look at them and see how you feel after that. So I did, but I only got as far as Preston bus station and I was sat waiting for my bus and I just turned around and thought, I want this, I want to join the military. So I went all the way back, didn't even watch the DVDs. I went to the door and the guy just opened the door and said, I knew you'd be back. You've just got one of them personalities. You've got the personality for a military man. So I said, right. So I went in, I had a chat with him, and I had to pick five five different regiments. So I picked me five, I did all my did me bits of training, what the career careers office do. And uh yeah, I went home and I said, right, that's it, I'm joining I said to my family, I'm joining the military. But I'm having a talk to my granddad. My granddad did national service when he was younger. He was with the Black Watch and he was telling me about his brother. And his brother was in the Scots Guards when he were roughly my age when I was joining. So I searched the Scots Guards, had a look into him, uh, standing outside Buckingham Palace, St. James's Palace, Tower of London. And I thought, yeah, I could do that. So I went for it. I went for the Scots Guards. I got accepted. And I think from the day of me going into the careers office, I think it were only about four weeks and I was at basic training. I turned up on the day, like there were a few other lads in suits and ties. I turned up in like an original Preston lad. Do you know what I mean? Turned up in trackies and that. Yeah. So I set my mind to it. But at the time, I thought I were a fit guy because I used to play football and I used to run. But there's civilian fit and there's military fit. And my basic training, it was hard. Some days got to the end of the day and I just felt like I had no more I felt that week I just couldn't like, I felt like I just couldn't carry on I learned a lot I learned a lot and with basic training I went in as a boy and I come out as a man because 
they break you down and build you back up again to be even stronger. And I felt amazing after my basic training. So from there, I went back to Preston Cree's office for two weeks. And what I was doing there was I was talking to the guys that wanted to join the military. I could talk to the guys about it and let them know what it's all about, what you have to do, how fit you have, well, how fit they make you, but for them to work on while they're joining the military. So when they go to basic training, they know what it's all about and they are fitter than they, they used to be. And then I went to F Company in London doing my ceremonial duties. But when I first like seen the guardsmen, I didn't think they were military. I just thought they worked at Buckingham Palace for the Queen and that's what they did. Uh, but finding out that they are actually military men were amazing. But while I was in that company, it was an amazing experience living in London for a year and a half, looking after the Queen, guarding all the palaces. I got to meet all the royal family and I even got to dance with the Queen. Wow. Um, it was just so unreal. There were a few stories from when I was on guard. I was on St. James's Palace at the back, just to the right-hand side of me. There's like a little secret garden. And it were an absolute boiling hot day, sweating. Because the tunic is literally like a carpet wrapped around you. It was boiling. And I was just stood there. Not a lot of people could see me because the back post, it's like two miles to the gate. I was stood there just doing what I was doing and I could just see in the corner of my eyes someone just walk around the corner and I've still stood there and the Queen stood in front of me with a tray and she had like a glass of orange juice, she had some biscuits and she said, guardsmen, just going to go into that secret garden. So I went in, took my bare skin off, had a glass of orange juice, had some biscuits. She said, just have a chill out, just relax. And I went, thank you, thank you, Your Majesty. So I was just having a chill out. And then my boss, my captain, walked around the corner. Like He must have walked around the corner and I'm not there. And he's walked into the garden, seen me sat there with my bare skin off, having some orange juice and that. And he's gone absolutely mental at me. He's like effing and blinding at me. He's like doing Who's told you you could sit down here and have this and have that? Tell me who it is. I'm going to go and have a word with him. They can't do it. I went, really? They, went, they were going, yeah, tell me who it is. Tell me who it is. I went, all right. It was the Queen. His next words were, all right, carry on. Because we can't go over what she said. You know what I mean? She's told me to do it. So that's what I'm doing. So that were a bit of a funny story. If I'd have told it properly, we all the, we all the swear words in, but I'll leave them out. <laughs> Never know who's watching. Um, and there were another one around the Tower of London, and I'm stood there, and I've got this young couple in front of me trying to make me laugh, telling me all these jokes, because they know we can't talk, we can't do anything. And they're telling me these jokes, and I'm just ignoring them. And they just started boring me because they were stood there for about 20 minutes, 25 minutes in front of me and they were boring me. And I just, I just stood there and I'm like, your jokes are rubbish. Go away. And they're like, you can't talk. I went, well, I just did. 
go away. <laughs> and like, it would just like they were just going mad because like they, they said you can't talk. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell your boss. Blah, blah, blah. And I would just go away. No movement, no, no nothing. Just talking, just talking through my teeth. But they were shocked that I talked to them. That was one, and then another one. A group of school kids on a day out uh, with the teachers, and again, they think we can't move. But when you're stood there, you can do your patrolling up and down. And all these kids have come around me for a photo. I had the photo with them, and they were still stood there. And like I stopped my feet in to come to an attention to do my patrolling. And the kids absolutely, like, they, what can I say? They were scared. Oh, they got scared. And they started running off all over the place, screaming. Uh, I didn't know if it was a laugh or cry, you know what I mean? Because I thought, oh, what have I done? So from that, and then we did, we did four months in Balmoral where the Queen's actual house is, her own house. Is that Scotland, right? Yeah, yeah. We went up there for four months and we get split into two groups. So we've got our pony platoon and we've got our security platoon. The security platoon looks after our camp, make sure no one gets in. And then the pony platoon looks after the Queen's ponies. So when like Prince Philip or any of the other royals want to go out shooting deer or pheasant or anything like that they'll go with them with the horses they'll wash the horses clean the horses but one of the jobs what you could get was a lauderman and my boss said when we got to scotland is, is can anyone is anyone good at like skinning animals or and gutting them and that but before i joined the military i used to go do a lot of rabbiting with my uncles uh, so I was used to skinning rabbits and gutting rabbits and that. And I said, I can do it. And said, have you done it before? I said, yeah, I explained. I said, right, that job's yours. So I loved it. I had to get up at five o'clock in the morning to go from our camp to Balmoral Castle. But I had my own little hut next to where they skin all the, the deer and that. And literally, I could just chill out in there until they brought the first deer, which could be... 12, 1 o'clock in the afternoon. So I just, I had it easy. Um, but the, when you were busy, they could bring six, seven deer back, you know what I mean? And you're, you're all over it. And every day, every day, a different person from the royal family used to come in and see how, how we're getting on. The Queen used to come in every day, though, just to come and see how everything's going and see if any... Royal, royal stag had been caught um, so it was good I used to talk to every day and then while there they do like a ghillies ball so for the ghillies what work there they do like a ball to thank them for the hard work and that and a handful of soldiers a handful of us had to got like selected to go but we had to do we had to learn all these Scottish dancing for while we were there uh, so I've had to learn all this dancing and then we got there and they do some like they do like a it's something like musical chairs but it's not like the men are in a circle and the women are in a circle behind us so the men go clockwise the women go anti-clockwise 
to the to the music, and then once the music stops, whoever's behind, because you've got your back to them, they're facing towards you, but you've got your back to the women, and then whoever's behind you, when you turn around, that is who you dance with. So at this point as well, it was before I injured. I was six foot one before I got injured. So I did that and I stopped. I've turned around and I, like, I couldn't see anyone. And I thought, have I not got anyone? And my boss has looked at me and gone, turn around and look down. Like that. So I've turned around, looked down, it was only the Queen. <laughs> like she's only small, you know what I mean? So I, and I like, felt a bit awkward then because I, I didn't notice straight away. Um, but the Queen is proper down to earth. She wants to know everything about you, where you're from, how old you are, where you grew up, um, how I like the military. She, like, I don't know whether she's the Queen or a private detective, you know what I mean, because you're asking that many questions. But she is, she's proper down to earth, a lovely lady. And, uh, you know what I mean? It's one of them where you'd do anything, you'd do anything for you, you know what I mean? You, you're serving uh, Queen and Country. Yeah, we got on well. We talked a lot. And we come back from Scotland, back to Catrick. And then we were straight into pre-deployment training because we were going over to Afghanistan in 2010. So we are doing all our pre-op training. Uh, that was hard, getting to not like, because I, I went on an Arabic course to speak Arabic. I did first aid course to become a team medic. There were a lot of courses going on, especially with weapons and stuff, what weapons you'll be using out there. So I had the LMG, I had a pistol. What's an, uh, an LMG? The LMG is a lightweight machine gun. Oh, right, okay. um, so it's a smaller version of the GPMG, which is the Jimpy. Uh, still a heavy piece of kit. I were like the LMG gunner when I was out there. But there were all different times when to use it. So when we were out on big patrols, I'd take the LMG. When we were out on small patrols, I'd just take my rifle. But with the LMG, you'd get your pistol as well. Because it's that heavy, you can't really swing it round or fire it from the shoulder. So you've got a pistol there just in case anything does start, which you can't just swing the, the LMG round. So we did all that. And we deployed over to Afghanistan in February, March. It was a nerve-wracking time because we set off from Catrick to Bryce Norton. We knew where we were going. We knew what we had to do. But it's one of them, it's like, what can I say? It's like going on going on a date, you know what I mean? For a woman you've never met, you get all the butterflies and that. So I'm getting butterflies inside. We didn't know what to think. And we got to Bryce Norton in the morning but we wasn't flying till night which made it a bit worse because she had more time to sit there and you know how it is when you're on an airport and your flight gets delayed at the time i used to smoke as well and i think i went i think i went through about 40 fags because <laughs> there wouldn't there were nothing else to do apart from go outside and just have a fag or do this but we, we got on the flight we flew over we got to afghan and that's it then we landed and that it, it were real you know what I mean we were there and we didn't know what to expect were you nervous at all yeah you're there and you just you've got everything going through your head you're nervous about what's going to happen 
and it just it was just so real you know what i mean we got there but we had to fly at night we got to that airport and then we flew to camp bastion got dropped off in camp bastion we had to do training out in camp bastion uh there were a lot of briefings going on letting you know what we need to know and what can go on what you have to look out for the good thing about being in camp bastion was you could go to each other's camps so we could go in the Americans or the Swedes or anyone like that and just have a chat to them. The Americans, their food were absolutely amazing. You had ribs, the lot, everything were there. And you also had like McDonald's there, you had Subways there, all in the cabins. It was just fun because we just used to all meet up and just like have games of poker or just have a laugh, get to know other people. And then we got set out into our job roles. So we flew out to our VCPs, which are vehicle checkpoints. And when we got there, yeah, there was really bare. There were nothing there apart from two ISOL containers. So there were an ISOL container there and then a big gap and another one. There were our bedrooms. So like six people, six, seven people were in one ISOL container with the beds. And what we had to do was to make us relaxed we had to make it feel like home so with the gap what was in the middle of the ice hole container we got some planks of wood and we put like a roof on top put like a roof and then the gap at the front we had some material what we folded over and we drew like a window on it with a flower bed of windows a flower bed with full of flowers on the windowsill we cut a door into it, so it looked like walking through the front door. I could picture it all now. We, you walked in on your left-hand side. We had a table with your salt, pepper, brown sauce, tomato sauce, whatever you wanted. We made like a fridge to keep our water cool so the sun weren't getting on it. And we made a table out of sandbags and like some wood. We made an armchair out of sandbags. We made a settee out of sandbags. Proper home from made, home then? Yeah, we just made it away like a home, do you know what I mean? And we found like, we've, we had like a, a piece of cardboard which for about 50 inch, like a like a uh, flat screen TV. One of our one of the lads that were with us, he was amazing at drawing. So we drew a TV on this cardboard, made it like a proper TV. And in the middle of the screen, he drew family guy sat on a settee. We stood that on the ISO container, so it looked like we were sat on the settee watching TV and all that lot. <laughs> so it was, like, it, was, it was like proper home. We had like our gym just outside as well. It, were, it worked. It were amazing. That, that settled us a bit. We were going out every day on routine foot patrols, seeing it, what were going on. We were having meetings with the village elders every week to find out what's been going on, what they've seen, what we haven't. We always had them meetings. The kids out there, the kids were amazing. You've just got to watch out for them. In our ration boxes, we used to get boiled sweets. So when we were going out, we used to take like a handful of boiled sweets with us. And the kids used to run up to you and like try and get some of your stuff. So you just used to give them like a boiled sweet or something. And they used to love them. But you've got to watch them because they might take like, a magazine full of rounds out of your pouch. You've just got to watch out for them. They're crafty. Um, <laughs> they're not stupid either because 
I ran out of boiled sweets and I, I took an apple out with me to give one of the kids an apple and I give it to him and he looked at it like what's that and threw it <laughs> don't want that they want the boiled sweets and everything do you know what I mean Difficult so kids. That, yeah it worked were good because every time we went out on patrol like even the villagers would come and talk to us and let us know what they've seen while we're out it real nice nicely done like your vehicle checkpoints yeah you're working with uh, you've either got the Afghan National Army or the Afghan National Police with you in the same camp. So we got on well with them. And when we're outside our VCP, there's like a little hut. So you'd stand in there and you'd check, like, if a vehicle were coming up to you that looked a bit dodgy, you'd pull it over, you'd, like, check for fingerprints, see if they'd been messing about with explosives or anything like that. But the Afghan National Army and the police, because... There's a lot of drugs around in Afghanistan, a lot of cannabis fields and everything like that. I was stood outside with one of the Afghan National Army. And he was eating cannabis like it were a bag of crisp. And I'm like, what are you doing? I said, you'll be off your... I just turned out to him. I said, you'll be off your nut. You won't be able to do anything. You won't be able to help me. But because they do it, they've done it like most of their lives. They're used to it. They just eat it and... They use it like Americans have that nicotine. Oh yeah, like gum, like nicotine, yeah, nicotine gum chew stuff. Yeah, yeah. And they just used to chew it and spit and all that. Lot. So that were a bit dodgy, like working with someone who's eating that stuff. But yeah, it's at, like it's all over. You'll go on patrols. You'll go through poppy fields, and literally, we sat down for like a ten-minute break. And you sit down in this poppy field and there's literally cannabis plants just growing at the side of you. Um, it's like unreal. There's the amount of money what's there. Mm. Unreal. Um, and yeah, on, on the 27th of May, 2010, that's when we went out on a fine patrol. We went to clear all clear all the Taliban out of the village and like get them away from there so they wouldn't hurt anyone. And we were walking into a stream and I was the 50th person out of 53 people. And we were walking into this stream, single file, and everyone's gone past this IED. I've gone past it. My mate behind me were getting in, he slipped. And as I've turned around to go and help him, I've stepped on it. And that resulted in me losing both my legs and my right arm. I remember I remember it all like it was yesterday. I heard the click and then I heard the bang. My weapon because I rolled in my weapon with the arm what I lost to going out my and my mate with this arm. That's why this one didn't get damaged. Uh as I've turned around, the explosion's happened and the power of it have, has gone underneath my arm, lifted my arm, my weapons smashed me in the face, you could say it like 100, 110 mile an hour, um, broke my jaw, split my chin, knocked a few, knocked some teeth out and it like threw me 15 foot in the air and I've landed back into the water back first. So all the water's come over the top of me and I was trying to get my head above water because I was drowning. I was drowning. My life flashed before my eyes. Um, I didn't think I was going to make it. 
and I was trying to get made above water and it just wasn't working. And I thought, what is going on here? What is going on? So you were, um, conscious, you, were con you were conscious for the whole thing then, by the sounds of it? Yeah, I was conscious for it all, yeah. Through every single second of it. And I couldn't do it. I couldn't get me out of above water. And I thought, right, that's it, that's me. I'm, I'm gone. But the guys have come up to me, grabbed hold of me, sat me on the side and said, Dave, do not look down. I said, what do you mean, don't look down? They said, just don't look down. They're checking me. Um, I've looked down and my legs were gone. All what were there were my shin bones and my kneecaps and the top of part of my thigh. And so I knew I'd lost my legs from the start. I'm taking me, me glasses off, but I don't know what it were because I never really used to wear my protective glasses. But I don't know what it were, but something was just like niggling at me. And I put them on. And that happened, and I've took them off to take everything off my head. So I took my helmet off, took my bandana off, and I took my glasses off. My glasses, like, were shattered. So something's hit the glasses. So luckily, like, if it weren't for them, I'd have been blind. Lost um, your sight, sight as well. Probably. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but while I was doing all that, I felt like pins and needles in my arm. And as I've lifted my arm, my arm's just, like, dangling. The bones are broke. They're just being held on by its tendons. Like the film Terminator, where he cuts his skin and pulls the skin off to show his metal arm. Just imagine me cutting round my arm to there, and then cutting the other side to there, and then leaving that bit. Yeah. The skin had separated from the, the, the arm. So I had my skin dangling, my arm dangling. And I just looked at it, and I thought, right, I've lost that. I give myself a high five and watched it wobble. <laughs> that's just that's just military mind. That we're just we're just sick. We're sick. I shouldn't laugh. Yeah, but we are. We're just we're just sick minded. You know what I mean? I've just give myself a high five and just watch it wobble. See you later. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah. All the guys were patching me up. Tony Cage on everything. I weren't in pain. The only bit of pain I felt was when they were putting the tourniquets on. They have to put them on that tight to stop the bleeding. And that's the only pain I felt. And then they put me on the stretcher. And two of my mates carried me from where I were onto the flight back to Camp Bastion. On the back of the flight, it's angled like that. And the, guy, the guys were carrying me. They were walking up. And the guy, what were like my head where slipped and dropped me. As they carrying you, carrying you onto the plane, <laughs> slipped and dropped me, and I just turned around to him. I said, "Do you not think I've been injured enough?" <laughs> you just want you just decide to drop me. But they've they've got me on the flight. They've got me there, and then I just got like swarmed with medics, uh, trying to do as much as they can. Sorry. Tried to do as much as they can on the flight before I got to Bastion. And they were talking to me and they said, Are you in pain? Have you had have you had morphine? I said, No, don't need any morphine, I'm not in pain. 
Um, and I was just, I was just staring at them, and just like nodding my head or shaking my head. And they put me to sleep because they had to do what they had to do. So they put me to sleep. And when I got to Camp Bastion, they were taking me off the fly, and I'd just woke up. And they got me out of the plane, and they're like, Dave, you all right? I said, yeah, I'm fine. I said, can I have a fag? <laughs> I just asked, I asked him if I could have a cigarette. I said, it might be my last one. I might never have one again. Uh, but they couldn't, they, you know what I mean? They couldn't let me have one. I was saying it. And um, they got me in. They did what they had to do. And I woke up in Selly Oak in Birmingham. Next week, Dave's going to tell us how he ended up going to the Invictus Games. So thanks very much for listening to A Healthy Conversation with Ben. Make sure that you subscribe to the podcast so that you can find out exactly how this story ends.